0: Chapter twenty four of I Say No. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I Say No by Wilkie Collins. Chapter twenty four. Mr. Rook. Emily's first day in the city library proved to be a day wasted. She began reading the back numbers of the newspaper at haphazard, without any definite idea of what she was looking for. Conscious of the error into which her own impatience had led her, She was at a loss how to retrace the false step that she had taken, but two alternatives presented themselves, either to abandon the hope of making any discovery, or to attempt to penetrate Alban's motives by means of pure guesswork pursued in the dark. How was the problem to be solved? This serious question troubled her all through the evening, and kept her awake when she went to bed. In despair of her capacity to remove the obstacle that stood in her way, she decided on resuming her regular work at the museum, turned her pillow to get at the cool side of it, and made up her mind to go asleep. In the case of the wiser animals, the person submits to sleep. It is only the superior human being who tries the hopeless experiment of making sleep submit to the person. Wakeful on the warm side of the pillow, Emily remained wakeful on the cool side, thinking again and again of the interview with Alban, which had ended so strangely. Little by little, her mind passed the limits which had restrained it thus far. Alban's conduct in keeping his secret, in the matter of the newspapers, now began to associate itself with Alban's conduct in keeping that other secret, which concealed from her his suspicions of Mrs. Rook. She started up in bed as the next possibility occurred to her. In speaking of the disaster which had compelled Mr. and Mrs. Rook to close the inn, Cecilia had alluded to an inquest held on the body of the murdered man. Had the inquest been mentioned in the newspapers at the time? And had Alban seen something in the report which concerned Mrs. Rook? Led by the new light that had fallen on her, Emily returned to the library the next morning with a definite idea of what she had to look for. Incapable of giving exact dates, Cecilia had informed her that the crime was committed in the autumn. The month to choose in beginning her examination was therefore the month of August. No discovery rewarded her. She tried September next, with the same unsatisfactory result. On Monday, the 1st of October, she met with some encouragement at last. At the top of a column appeared a telegraphic summary of all that was then known of the crime. In the number for the Wednesday following, she found a full report of the proceedings at the inquest. Passing over the preliminary remarks, Emily read the evidence with the closest attention. The jury, having viewed the body, and having visited an outhouse in which the murder had been committed, the first witness called was Mr. Benjamin Rook, landlord of the hand-in-hand inn. On the evening of Sunday, September thirtieth, 1877, two gentlemen presented themselves at Mr. Rook's house, under circumstances which especially excited his attention. The youngest of the two was short and of fair complexion. He carried a knapsack, like a gentleman on a pedestrian excursion. His manners were pleasant, and he was decidedly good-looking. His companion, older, taller, and darker, and a finer man altogether, leaned on his arm, and seemed to be exhausted. In every respect, they were singularly unlike each other. The younger stranger, excepting little half-whiskers, was clean-shaved. The elder wore his whole beard. Not knowing their names, the landlord distinguished them, at the coroner's suggestion, as the fair gentleman, and the dark gentleman. It was raining when the two arrived at the inn. There were signs in the heavens of a stormy night. On accosting the landlord, the fair gentleman volunteered the following statement. Approaching the village, he had been startled by seeing the dark gentleman, a total stranger to him, stretched prostrate on the grass at the roadside, so far as he could judge, in a swoon having a flask with brandy in it he revived the fainting man and led him to the inn this statement was confirmed by a laborer who was on his way to the village at the time the dark gentleman endeavored to explain what had happened to him he had as he supposed allowed too long a time to pass after an early breakfast that morning without taking food He could only attribute the fainting-fit to that cause. He was not liable to fainting-fits. What purpose, if any, had brought him into the neighborhood of Zealand? He did not state. He had no intention of remaining at the inn, except for refreshment, and he asked for a carriage to take him to the railway station. The fair gentleman, seeing the signs of bad weather, desired to remain in Mr. Rook's house for the night and proposed to resume his walking tour the next day. excepting the case of supper, which could be easily provided, the landlord had no choice but to disappoint both his guests. In his small way of business, none of his customers wanted to hire a carriage, even if he could afford to keep one. As for beds, the few rooms which the inn contained were all engaged, including even the room occupied by himself and his wife an exhibition of agricultural implements had been opened in the neighborhood only two days since and a public competition between rival machines was to be decided on the coming monday not only was the hand-in-hand inn crowded but even the accommodation offered by the nearest town had proved barely sufficient to meet the public demand the gentlemen looked at each other and agreed that there was no help for it but to hurry the supper and walked to the railway station, a distance of between five and six miles, in time to catch the last train. While the meal was being prepared, the rain held off for a while. The dark man asked his way to the post-office, and went out by himself. He came back in about ten minutes, and sat down afterward to supper with his companion. Neither the landlord nor any other person in the public room noticed any change in him on his return. He was a grave, quiet sort of person, and unlike the other one, not much of a talker. As the darkness came on, the rain fell again heavily, and the heavens were black. A flash of lightning startled the gentlemen when they went to the window to look out. The thunderstorm began. It was simply impossible that two strangers to the neighborhood could find their way to the station through storm and darkness in time to catch the train. With or without bedrooms, they must remain at the inn for the night. Having already given up their own room to their lodgers, the landlord and landlady had no other place to sleep in than the kitchen. Next to the kitchen, and communicating with it by a door, was an outhouse— used partly as a scullery, partly as a lumber room. There was an old truckle bed among the lumber, on which one of the gentlemen might rest. A mattress on the floor could be provided for the other. After adding a table and a basin for the purposes of the toilet, the accommodation which mr Rook was able to offer came to an end. The travelers agreed to occupy this makeshift bedchamber. The thunderstorm passed away, but the rain continued to fall heavily. Soon after eleven, the guests at the inn retired for the night. There was some little discussion between the two travelers as to which of them should take possession of the truckle-bed. It was put an end to by the fair gentleman in his own pleasant way. He proposed to toss up for it, and he lost. The dark gentleman went to bed first the fair gentleman followed after waiting a while mr rook took his knapsack into the outhouse and arranged on the table his appliances for the toilet contained in a leather roll and including a razor ready for use in the morning having previously barred the second door of the outhouse which led into the yard mr rook fastened the other door the lock and bolts of which were on the side of the kitchen he then secured the house door and the shutters over the lower windows returning to the kitchen he noticed that the time was ten minutes short of midnight soon afterward he and his wife went to bed nothing happened to disturb mr and mrs Rook during the night at a quarter to seven the next morning he got up his wife being still asleep he had been instructed to wake the gentleman early and he knocked at their door. Receiving no answer after repeatedly knocking, he opened the door and stepped into the outhouse. At this point in his evidence, the witness's recollections appeared to overwhelm him. "'Give me a moment, gentlemen,' he said to the jury. "'I have had a dreadful fright, and I don't believe I shall get over it for the rest of my life. The coroner helped him by a question. What did you see when you opened the door? Mr. Rook answered, I saw the dark man stretched out on his bed, dead with a frightful wound in his throat. I saw an open razor, stained with smears of blood at his side. Did you notice the door leading into the yard? It was wide open, sir. When I was able to look round me, the other traveller, I mean the man with the fair complexion, who carried the knapsack, was nowhere to be seen. What did you do after making these discoveries? I closed the yard door, then I locked the other door and put the key in my pocket. After that I roused the servant and sent him to the constable who lived near to us, while I ran for the doctor, whose house was at the other end of our village. The doctor sent his groom on horseback to the police office in the town. When I returned to the inn, the constable was there, and he and the police took the matter into their own hands. You have nothing more to tell us? Nothing more. End of chapter 24